Let us pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, once again we approach thy throne, trusting alone in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he is our advocate and that He intercedes for us, and that the Spirit likewise helps our infirmities with groanings which cannot be uttered. So oftentimes, we desire to open up our hearts and express the fullness of our sentiments before Thee, and we don't even know how. And we're not certain that we understand ourselves. And so, still we endeavor to sit before Thee. And if need be, with our hand on our mouth, while we would trust that our heart and soul somehow communing with you, desiring to love you, honor you, worship you, and rejoice in fellowship with you. Often, our emotions, and sad to say, our obedience to you waxes and wanes, comes and goes. Often an inconsistency in such a way that it causes grief to our own souls and wonder likewise what it might be to you. And still we look forward to that day when we shall be with you and be satisfied. We pray that you would overrule and bless and encircle us with your ever-loving arms that we might ever lead a quiet 
and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That you would be with those that rule over us. That they would rule over us for good and not for evil. You told us there would be wars and rumors of wars until our Lord returned. And we see that. There's much sorrow, much affliction, much tears and sadness in this world, not only from wars and conflicts, diseases, and all kinds of trials and afflictions. But we thank You that You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it were not for the truth of Your Word, we would be of all men most miserable. We would look at life and see how that we would die and that would be the end of everything. What a depressing thought. Now we pray that You would bless us as we look into Your Word and as we endeavor to study that You would break the Word of life unto the hearts of each one who hears. That it would bring forth fruit to Your honor and to Your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, we left off last Lord's Day looking at the subject of judgment. And we see that brought up in verse 17. And I will read uh, that and through the rest of the chapter to bring it into its context to some degree. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, 
that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now we uh, pointed out last Lord's Day that any judgment that a child of God receives in this life is a form of chastisement. And without going into great depth, we showed that from Hebrews chapter 12 and from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it said there that because some were partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily, some were weak, some were sickly, and some slept. In other words, some were actually killed. And the following verse said that that was done so that when they were judged, that they were chastened of God so that they would not be condemned with the world. That may be a shocking reality to some individuals, though some may not even consider it a reality. But nevertheless, God said some people died because of partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And all you have to do is get you a good concordance and look up that word sleep and how it's used throughout the New Testament and time and time and time again. It speaks of death. One place is in uh, in John where Lazarus, the Lord said that he sleepeth and they Disciples said, if he sleeps, he does well. And then it said, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. First Thessalonians 5, it talks about that the resurrection, that God brings those that sleep in Jesus, those that are dead in Jesus. So while God does judge us in this world, in this life, and we are chastened of Him, there is a day of judgment that's coming. And we noted that from Ecclesiastes and Matthew and uh, and 2 Peter, just to name a few, that it talks about that there is a day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall judge the world in righteousness. In fact, I don't have it uh, in my notes, but in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, he talked about Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he said in verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So we see that Paul definitely pointed out that uh, there would be a judgment even though he was uh, preaching to people for the first time they'd ever heard preaching as far as we know there to the Athenians or those on Mars Hill. But not only that, not only will the wicked be judged, but we also find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we pointed this out last Lord's Day, but I'll uh, bring it in again in verse 10, where he, Paul said, For we must all appear, not just the wicked, but we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, I don't understand all of that. Uh, I can't explain it all to you. And nobody else can. But that's what the Scriptures say. In fact, Ecclesiastes, which we read last Lord's Day, said that God would bring everything into judgment according to that which we have done, whether it be good or bad. So somehow that we're, we're going to be brought into judgment. And John brings this out in this epistle here in verse 17. He said that... Uh, we're to live in such a way that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And he'd already intimated that in the second chapter of First, of first John. In the second chapter, uh, he said uh, in verse, 20, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at, at His coming. So, whatever all of this means, and whatever the details will be, one thing we can say for certain, how we live in this world is going to have some bearing on how we are before God in judgment. Now that does not mean that how we live will determine whether we're saved or not. We're saved by the blood of Christ. That's the only way that we're saved from the wrath of God is by the blood of Christ. But at the same time, it, there are these few passages, and we could take a side excursion and preach on the judgment, and we could do that for weeks to show that there are many, many, many verses 
that have to do with the judgment of God with regard to all men. And it does indicate that those who are justified by the imputed righteousness of Christ will live godly as a general rule. They're still sinners, but as a general rule, their lifestyle is that of a Christian. But this day of judgment is going to be when the Lord returns. Like we said in verse 28 of chapter 2 of 1 John, He makes that plain. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. When the Lord returns. And that's not... uh, That's His bodily return. If that's not enough, look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. I know there are people that try to explain away some of these verses. And they try to say, well, that's when He comes to us personally in this life. Well, that's not what it said. And you have to read that into it. There are others that say it was when the Lord came in 70 A.D. in Jerusalem. Well, if the Lord returned and came in they say, well, that's just coming in judgment. But if He came in 70 A.D., then uh, I guess the Lord has three comings. How many times does the Lord have to come back to the earth? But anyway, I won't take up that uh, line of defense. But in First Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, Let's begin in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. When the Lord shall return from heaven with His angels. In flaming fire. Now the Lord didn't come back to Jerusalem with angels and flaming fire in 70 A.D. Titus destroyed Jerusalem. Not the Lord with flaming fire. Taking vengeance on them that know not God. and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in an age when people 
and I'm talking about even professed believers, do not take it serious that whether they obey the gospel or not. You say, well, how do you, why do you say that? Look at the way they live. I hear of surveys after surveys after surveys of professing Christians, even professing evangelical Christians. Evangelical are supposed to be more sound than just regular Christians. However, in the Bible, there's only one kind of Christian. But I, I'm just uh, I'm using today's language and figures, and the majority in every survey that I can think of, the majority of professing Christians do not read the Bible on a regular basis. Do not attend the house of God on a regular basis. I don't see that in reading the New Testament. It says here that when the Lord returns from heaven with angels in flaming fire, He's going to take vengeance on those that don't know God and those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. I tell you, hell is a horrible place. It's described as the lake of fire, where people will be cast forever. No reprieve. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He shall be, when He shall come, to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. In the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, Verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that when He comes and we'll be brought before Him, 
that you soon be not soon shaken in mind nor troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. But the point that we're making is there is a day that's coming. There is a day that's coming. You can rest assured of that. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. So, when John says in verse 17 of chapter 4 of 1 John that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, we've just looked at a few passages. But there is a day of judgment, there's a day coming. And we need to live in such a way that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. You say, well, how can I know that I'm going to have boldness? Notice what he says here. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness. Go back to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no such thing as a regenerated child of grace that doesn't have love. He may not love as he ought. His love may be imperfect, but he has love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 makes that plain as well. We've read it, quoted it many times. First Thessalonians 4, 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you for yourselves, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. God teaches His children to love fellow believers. And when you see a person that professes to be a believer that doesn't have love, 
That's a bad sign. I have known believers, professed believers, and I have known of professed believers. And when I say that, in other words, there's people that come to mind that I've known in the past, and there's people that I've heard about in the past, that didn't have love. I know of one uh, man that called up his pastor and threatened to beat him up. You actually know the pastor if I were to call his name. And what, did, what, what, what was he mad about? Because the pastor was preaching the gospel. The man wasn't having his way. And I've heard of people like that. I heard of a situation, I've mentioned this before, but I heard of a situation where a man had committed a wrong in the congregation he confessed his wrong. He repented of his wrong. He asked forgiveness. And there was one deacon in that congregation that said he would never forgive that man and made his son swear on... Uh, this deacon on his deathbed made his son swear that he would never forgive him because his son was a member of the congregation too. What do you do with people like that? Well, according to John... They're in bad shape. They're in bad shape. You say, well, are you saying they're going to hell? I'll leave that with God. I'm just preaching the gospel. But it says here that if man doesn't love his brother whom he's seen, how then he, uh, what did it say? If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. If a man hates a fellow believer, he doesn't love God. He's a, he's a liar. That's not my. That's not me. That's what God said. I don't care who it is. Doesn't matter who it is. Well, I know somebody. I don't care what you know. God's word is true. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Is what the word of God says. You say, well, you're, you're mighty hard. That's what God said. But back in verse 17, I don't know that I know the full import of the last part of that verse. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ is, present, active, indicative, so are we, present, active, indicative, 
in this world. Obviously, obviously, Jesus Christ is righteous and we have the righteousness of Christ and we're just like Him in a legal way before God, in a judicial way. That's obvious. But from the context of the verse, it seems that John is meaning something more than our judicial righteousness in Christ. Not that we are as sinless and pure as Christ, But our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our state of living in this world is the same quality, though not the same quantity, as Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, we don't live as sinless like Christ did. That's the quality. I mean quantity. But we have the same Spirit of Christ because we've been regenerated by the Spirit of God. And so we love fellow believers like Christ loved. Sometimes they get on our nerves. Sometimes they aggravate us. Sometimes we aggravate them. Sometimes we get on their nerves. But all in all, we still have a love for each other. We have a love of God's people. Not just our own denomination. You know, we run into people all the time that doesn't cross every T and dot every I the same way we do. But they, from all outward appearance, obviously we don't know the heart, but from all outward appearance, they love the Lord. We love them. Sometimes we might even meet a stranger that we would have in a, a Christian affinity. I remember some years ago, I was in, actually I was in Walmart, and I saw a woman with her young daughter. Both of them had a, a countenance about them that was delightful. Their dress was delightful in a godly way, in every way. You hardly see that in Walmart. <laughs> and I just walked up to them 
Uh, I had seen them two or three different times. Finally, I just walked up to them one time and said, uh, I want to thank God for the way that you're dressed because it does seem to uh, appear uh, godly in every way. And it looked like it brightened their eyes too. But it was just like a, a, a beacon in a dark world of godliness. Wasn't anything fancy, anything. You know, I, I tried to do it in such a way. Uh, I think I said something to the effect I didn't want to embarrass them or something of that nature. You know, in the day in which we live, you almost have to be careful what you say to anybody. But it's, it's just a joy and a delight to see someone that professes Christianity living it out. And there's something about that, I believe in verse 17, because as He is, so are we in this world. Obviously, as we search our hearts and study our lives, we find it hard to believe that, that this could be said of us, or at least me. Am I like Christ? I want to be. Pray that I will be. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear. There's a lot involved in the study from a biblical perspective of the word fear. This word, or the excuse me, not this word. This word for fear is only used some 40 times in the New Testament. But the English word fear in the Bible, is used over 400 times. So you can see if we did a thorough study on fear, we'd be at it a long time. But there are various kinds of fear. We need to keep that in, 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 in our mind. This fear, in verse 18, there is no fear in love, 
This fear is not to be confused with the people of that have no fear of God. You know, the Bible talks about, and we'll look at that here in a moment, you know, people that have no fear of God. I remember in my youth, I didn't have any fear of God. When I did wrong, I don't, I don't remember being afraid what God thought about it. I was afraid what mom and daddy thought about it or some of the neighbors. But I didn't, it, it, I didn't fear what God thought about it. There is a, secondly, there is a, and we'll look at these more deeply, there is a fear of God that is genuine and proper that all men ought to have. Everybody should have a fear of God to some degree. Thirdly, there is a fear that believers have that is good, and we normally call that uh, reverence for God. <coughs> Fourthly, there is a natural fear. This is not godly. There's just a natural fear that is abated when love is exercised. <coughs> I'm just talking about it in a natural way. We'll look at that later. Fifthly, God's children are commanded not to fear. So you have a fear that we ought to have. There's a fear that we shouldn't have. And then there is a fear that we're to have at the day of judgment. So those are there are six different kinds of fears that can be uh, looked at as we study the scriptures, and I'm sure there are other classifications that I've missed. That there are some that have no fear. Let's look first of all in Romans 3, verse 18. I know some of this you know already. Romans chapter 3. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And when I see how people use God's name so loosely,
Now there's a an expression that is quite popular in the day in which we live. I'm not going to give you the words, but you'll know what when I give you the letters OMG. And to say the letters, meaning the words, is just as bad as saying the words, but that's taking God's name in vain. In fact, to use the, the word good in many ways is taking God's name in vain because good is a derivative of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Just look, look at Webster's Dictionary. I don't... Uh, and so when, when people say uh, such expressions, uh, uh, my gosh, they're saying my God. It's a euphemistic way of saying my God. Just like darn is a euphemistic way of saying damn. People say, well, uh, that's not as bad. It is as bad from God's perspective. But, uh, and the fact that people don't have a fear of God is the reason they use such expressions without thought. And some of it is because ministers haven't preached it. But we need to be careful. As the Scripture said, we need to let our yeas be yeas and our nays nays. For anything more than that's evil. Look at Psalm 36. Verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before His eyes. If people had a fear of God, they would be careful what they say And they would treat the Word with respect. We in this assembly have lived through years where we have seen the degradation of the fear of God in our society. In the entertainment business alone, at one time, they couldn't even use the word darn in the entertainment business in putting out movies and things. 
but one would be hard pressed to look at a movie today that didn't just take God's name in vain openly. I've heard people, uh, one comes to mind right now, but I've heard people that profess to be believers say a few GDs, they could see a movie with a few GDs and it didn't bother them. Something wrong. Our hearts are hardened. Our hearts are hardened when we can put such things before our eyes in the sake of entertainment or for education. No fear of God. No fear of God. All God understands, He'll look over. I just wonder sometimes what the day of judgment is going to reveal. Well, I'm going to have to stop here. We'll take up some more this afternoon. But uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, quicken our hearts and minds that we might have a proper fear of You. You said in Your Word that because iniquity shall abound in the latter days, the love of many shall wax cold. Well, iniquity sure has abounded in our day. And I wonder just how much of it has rubbed off on us to where we are too callous, too hardened. Help us to have the right kind of spirit that our souls may be properly vexed with the filthiness of this generation. In Jesus' name, Amen.